it's quadruple scale. I'm not going to tell you it's cheap, but I am going to tell you it's going to be good. Today, life is great. Welcome to Knoxcast, music on music. I'm trumpeter, composer, vocalist Knox Summerhour, and this is where the world's top musicians, composers, producers, and industry professionals tell us how they've made their way in the world of music for TV, film, video games, stage, studio, and more. Chris Tedesco is one of the most well-known and sought-after studio musicians in Hollywood and beyond. Also a music contractor, Chris is to me the archetypal freelancer and a music marketing genius. He's a fount of knowledge and advice, so let's get started. Good morning. Morning. Thank you for Knock Summer being Hour. a guest. And, Knock uh, Summer Hour. Having me at your great studio here. Welcome to West Hills. Thank you. <laughs> I remember, I, I think when I visited the first time... You, uh, you came to this very studio. You had just finished it. like I Maybe, yeah. It's probably, probably 12 years in the studio here in the garage. I started recording in the house 13 years ago. And, and then we had the second kid, and my daughter needed a bedroom. So I said... Makes sense. Yeah. So I said, I need a studio in the garage. My wife said, get in the garage. Somebody gave me a bid of $15,000 to build a room in a room out here, and I said, no. I said, I got it. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So you you've built this studio yourself, and you said, uh, you told me originally that you uh, had some help from YouTube. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, you, yeah. How to frame, how to frame a wall. How do you frame with two by fours a, a a support wall? And everything's on YouTube, as you know, everything. Anything you need. How to fix anything, do anything. So literally in the driveway, I bought lumber, brought it back in my Toyota Camry with the with the two by four sticking out the front window and out the back window, cor- kitty corner, you know, and uh, and no nail gun, hammer and nails, um, printed out what it, took to make a wall you know it studs are 16 inches apart with support little uh, two by fours in between and made that front wall right there in the driveway and i had the gardeners help me bring it in prop it up straight and get it level and then i drilled into the floor uh holes into the floor to put bolts to anchor it to the floor uh, with a regular drill and a, and a concrete bit and the concrete's from 1966 really hard and you were ahead of your time i think in that respect building your own uh, yeah. Studio. Yeah. Thirteen years ago, twelve years ago. Well, how did you know? How, when did you know you needed to do that? Well, and you wanted to. Do I got that? a request from a. I know a lot of my work comes from knowing composers that are writing music or producers that are writing music. So, I got a request. It might have been two requests in the same week or same couple of weeks. Like, hey, um, you don't need to drive to Santa Monica to this jingle house. We we we've got a uh, we've got a Latin trumpet solo for eight measures. But did you know that Pro Tools is digital now, and since we have broadband internet, did you know that you can use a program called Fetch and load up your large files to an FTP parking site? Right. There wasn't WeTransfer yet, and there wasn't Hightail. And I go, no, I didn't. I, Pro Tools. I've seen Pro Tools in the studio, of course. You know, going to a studio and people recording you to a hard drive. But I didn't know it was available for like the average Joe, right? I go, no, tell me more. Oh yeah, well, and then, you know that, and then it comes a couple questions to my cousin Damon Tedesco, who's a recording engineer. I go, Damon, cousin Damon, what do I need to get to record from home? Make me a laundry list of what I need to get: uh, microphones, Pro Tools, preamp, speakers, and some sound deadening. And seventy-seven hundred bucks later, I was on my way. That was thir- over thirteen years ago. I think going on fourteen years. So 
out of necessity of not driving to a place, out of the the uh, the ability for people to demand it and saves them time when they're not in engineering you and they're spending their time on their stuff and you're at your place recording their stuff, that's very attractive, especially in this day and age, especially in Los Angeles. And it... it so just in the ideal town where there wasn't a million people, you know, uh, 10, 20 million people, yeah. you, you, would you have built a studio? Uh, I probably would have built it. If, yeah, and I'm, a, I'm a marketing guy, so I study business trends and all things, not just music. And when something comes up where a light bulb comes up like, hey, we've got this now, um, you know, so I, I'm, you know, in order to stay ahead of the curve of where, where, what, what's your business doing? What's happening in the music business, in the recording business? What's happening? You can record at home? Oh, I better get this stuff. Composer Sean Callery of 24 fame writes the score and themes for Homeland, and all 96 episodes start with Chris's solo jazz trumpet. circles Chris is known as a no-nonsense straight shooter I asked him how he makes this work for himself in a town and industry that's sometimes full of nonsense Hollywood's always going to be the town where you're going to have things uh, what do you call it uh, ethically not always go your way you know what I mean so the no-nonsense thing is this uh, I come from back east from Niagara Falls, New York, and so the East Coast thing, I want to say it's a harder thing, but I want to say it's um, more of a uh, an immediate thing, less bullshit. I don't want to say people in L.A. that grew up in L.A. that are in the music business or production business are full of poopy, but the, the no-nonsense thing is this, is that I, I'm a trumpet player still, keep my trumpet playing and brass playing up to a high level, and I hire people. Uh, to facilitate things to be the, I call myself the great facilitator. Mm -hmm. So I still want to be treated like how I would treat somebody else. Like if I'm going to hire you for your job like I did last week, I want to pay you well, I want to treat you well, I want to make sure that you're okay on the job with the conditions, whether or not you're getting fed, whether or not you're getting your parking paid for. As a human being, there are certain rights that you have in order to, and, and then here's the thing, when you do your job well, uh, when you do your job better when you're treated exactly like you should be treated. So do unto others as you want to be done unto yourself. Mm -hmm. It's always, I never want to forget that because I still work for other people too. And, you know, I always want to get the right wage. If somebody doesn't want to pay for something, either myself or other guys, I go, look, you know, this is the going rate for what pros do. A guy just called when you were just coming into the yeah, studio. Yeah. He goes, I need a band for uh, Friday the 6th of July. 
can you get me a rate? I go, no, I can't get you a rate yet. You know, I need to talk to you about what you need, uh, and I'm going to give you a pro rate. It's right. not part-time player rate. You know, here's, and I, I am very transparent when somebody asks me what other things cost. I go, this is what it costs for a pro to leave the house for two and a half hours. Absolutely. I think it's healthier to be straightforward. Yeah, I mean, because because there's so much information on the internet, you can find like for recording scales wise, what we do as musicians, everything is available on the internet on local 47 website or AFM, uh, mm. the American Federation of Musicians website about what's the scale for low budget TV or film scale two ten sixty seven for three hours for a sideman. So. That's out there for somebody to see. You have it down two, to the de- of course. decimal. <laughs> yeah, I have, I have a photograph of memory for numbers. So for so when, let's say I'm going to hire... It goes up every year by $3. <laughs> well, it goes up a little bit each year. So, something like that. And now they're renegotiating the contract. But so right now, if I hire a violinist to record three hours, and there's under 10 players or whatever, it's $210.67 for three hours, right? So that's the rate for that player, for that low-budget film... That PDF is available to a production company to find that when they search on the net. All you got to do is do a Google search, AFM, low-budget recording rates, and they can find that. So that information is out there. So with all the info on the net, transparency is needed more than ever. You know, And then you can always charge above scale. Uh, you can always charge above scale for your services. When I contract and play, I many times tell people, look, I'm going to be a double-scale trumpet player because I've been around for 31 years in L.A., and contracting is double-scale. It's quadruple-scale. I'm not going to tell you it's cheap, but I am going to tell you it's going to be good. Speaking of good, Chris is also the solo trumpeter for the Emmy Award-winning History Channel series, The Kennedys. is saturated with great musicians yes uh, sir and great trumpet players that's a good thing though yet you always seem to be busy so how do you <laughs> differentiate or separate yourself from uh, the hundreds of uh, great trumpet yeah. players here there's hundreds or yeah. musicians in general yeah there's hundreds there's hundreds of if I was just a trumpet player which I'm not just that now if I was just a trumpet player, how do you? Yeah, exactly. It's well, a good, how have that's you a great done question. That's how have I done it? Well, I've always been a marketing guy. I got a music business degree from University of Miami in 1983, but that doesn't mean that I learned all my marketing and I got out of college in '83 and I was ready to market. No, no, no. That's a life. It's a it's a learning experience every day. Still, it's about reading up on marketing books in general, uh, studying uh, marketing trends on the internet now um you gotta view yourself as an entity of what you're selling product and service why marketing of any kind of product or service is selling the benefits of purchasing that market uh, of purchasing the uh, of the product or service marketing is selling the benefits of it so what's the benefit of hiring chris tedesco 
Does it come with a great playing in tune on on time? Does it come with a bad attitude uh, of of uh, not wanting to do the job or being late or not being an asset? It comes down to being an asset or a liability to a situation. So how do you set yourself away from the other 300 trumpet players? If you let's say you just pulled into town now, you've been here for 10 years. If you just pull into town now. Well, so the obvious first way is that you you play completely better than everybody else. If you play better than everybody else in all forms, people are going to hear you and they're going to go, God, Poopy. have you heard so-and-so? Because so-and-so is better than everybody on this, 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 that. That's one way to do it, right? Takes years for you to work into a town and for people to find out who you are. Uh, the second way to do it, which which is another way to do it, is that uh, marketing yourself um, – he, it, 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 not every musician is going to know about business and marketing and target marketing. Um, I would say very few. <laughs> well, the thing is, is that you do have to have an affinity to like it as a concept and also study it. Okay, so target marketing is defining where you want to target and get results out of because wherever you spend your time is wherever you're going to get your results back. So if you're trying to be a jazz musician and you're hitting clubs up to play for 50 to 100 bucks a night and you're bringing your jazz CD to those clubs, that's what you're going to get in return. Okay, that's what you're going to, your your returns are going to be that wherever you spend your time. So marketing-wise as yourself as a trumpet player, I can show you there's a piece of paper over here that's uh, called work possibilities. And I've always looked at the things that I do. You want to capitalize on the things you do well, and you want to play to all the things that you don't do well or don't do them at all, right? So as a trumpet player, what does a trumpet do? It plays classical. It plays jazz. It plays rock and roll. It plays R&B. It plays uh, soul. It plays Latin. It plays mariachi. It plays all these uh, orchestra. Trumpet is by far the most versatile instrument in the spectrum of instruments other than maybe percussion or drums. To convey Chris's virtuosity and the versatility that modern studio playing calls for, here are two back-to-back -back examples. First, from his album, Introducing Chris Tedesco, Jules Levy's Grand Russian Fantasia. Obviously a totally different style here from his jazz CD, Living the Dream, improvising over his own composition, Race to the Bottom.
So, so like marketing opportunities, what what's the demands of the trumpet? Now, if you're a jazz player and don't like playing classical and don't like play, practicing classical and don't have the right equipment, then then no, you shouldn't try to get classical work. For me, I've always been a chameleon. Always one. I'm a classically based trumpet player. Went to study at U Miami with Gil Johnson, who was the principal trumpet in Philadelphia Orchestra right. from '58 to '75 under Ormandy. I went to U Miami to study with him, but I also played a lot of jazz. You did it even at that point. Yeah, a lot of jazz. I was jazz and classical at Miami, and also a music business major. So um, was so, it? Would, did did uh, Gil Johnson ever talk about trumpet in the same way that you do, or was he? Uh, just... He was not. He was not anti make a living stuff at all. In other words, like right. if he knew you did a Latin gig the night before, he'd give you a little bit of a break in the beginning <laughs> of your lesson if you sounded like Poopy. with your tone because you were playing Latin Poopy. all night. But at some point, you before the end of that hour, you had to have your together. Mm-hmm. So and then. I've always been able to cross over with uh, with classical to, to jazz pop, and that doesn't that, that that I know that works for me. Some people it doesn't work for. So he was okay with you doing different styles because he knew what it took to make a living. He was a piano player. He, oh, he put himself through college playing jazz piano. Really? In clubs. Jazz. Yep. Did I, you ever I, play with him? What? Yep. Whenever I, I whenever I used to see him down in Miami, either visiting. Uh, I'd go down there, we'd have lunch, we'd go back to the studio, smoke a cigar, drink a beer, and he'd sit down, and I'd say, okay, let's play some tunes, and he was a cocktail pianist. Wow. Yep, he was like great. lounge, or like lounge stride pian- piano. Knew, yep, no, just knew how to play standards, and he would accompany you, wow. and you could say, hey, let's, let's play, uh, let's play uh, Stardust, and he would know it, and sound good on it, and play it. I didn't know that. Yeah. And that probably helped his overall Harmonically? Oh, yeah. You know, and oh, yeah. To be, he was well ahead of folks that... Yeah. All they did was play trumpet. Yeah, growing up. Yeah, he actually he he would talk about that. I I think he made he did gigs on piano. And so backing up uh, yeah. a little bit, uh, that was okay. Did I answer your question yeah. about how do you, how do you market yourself? What do you no, what do I good. do different than other? Yeah, no. You, you uh, how do you, how do you separate yourself from the other three hundred guys? Um, because not everyone is going to be able to do things that you can do. They're, no, they're playing wise, no, and then also business wise, no. It just depends on what what you have the the, the sense for, right? And whether or not you want to be a chameleon. Or, yeah, or a there, there's that, but there's also now with the internet, we have a far greater ability to keep in touch with people, people especially Facebook. Like, hey, here's what I did yesterday, and you can put up a YouTube of you playing screaming high lead trumpet and make a YouTube of that. Hey, everybody, here's what I did yesterday. Here's my, uh, I played for, well, I don't know, whatever, some TV thing. And you'll hit all your all your followers on, on, on Facebook. But though, I, I don't necessarily do that. I don't want to be called out as an overposter. When I'm marketing myself, I know what target marketing is. What audience do I want to hit with my marketing plan to try to keep people remembering what I do? Because I'm older than I'm. There's people not thinking of me because I'm this age now, as opposed to you being 37. There's jobs that you get at 37 that I'm not going to get at 57 just because of the way I look. Doesn't matter how I play. So TV stuff though. Yeah. But on not camera the stuff. studio stuff. Nobody cares. Studio, I could be naked in here yeah. cutting out tracks, <laughs> well, and nobody, might. nobody gives. Yeah, right. I, you could be naked right now. Yeah, no. <laughs> but anyways, but so target marketing is what I do. 
you have business chops going on. You, you're always thinking in that way. Yeah. But you also the trumpet isn't something you can just not play for four days. Yeah. You you see that you see that yeah. sitting on my lap. So how do you keep that sharp? Because it's very demanding on the physiology yeah. of your body. I mean, I have a trouble with that. Yeah, so yeah. how do you... Yeah, you you compose. I mean... Well, I mean, I do it, yeah. If things. you have a deadline and you're composing, is your trumpet sitting on your lap? No, I'm not. No, no I don't play for a week sometimes. Yeah, that's see, happening. I, I can't do that. I, well, I, I shouldn't do that. Yeah. So, but there... What works for me, uh, if I'm not working... Uh, usually, I don't want to say I'm working every day, but it's always different. It never makes any sense. Any yeah, there's week. not a typical day. No, there's not a typical day. I get hit with emails uh, a day in advance. Hey, um, what are you doing tomorrow? Uh, I need a demo on trumpet. I'm going to send you the PDF and send you the tracks. Can you can you get it to me by Friday midnight? That happens all the time now because I, I have let people know that I have this studio. So And then there's also live. I'm always working live out of the house. Um, so how do I keep the trumpet up? It's sitting in my lap right now. When you were getting your mic levels on your Logic here to record me, I was warming up a little bit. So the one thing that doesn't work that I found is that if I'm here contracting something and I'm doing budgets in Excel um, and I say, okay, I'm going to take five minutes off and I'm going to do my James Stamp exercises, and I'll tell you about that in a second if you want to ask about that later on. Doing the trumpet, sitting in my lap, just putting it up for five minutes while I'm sitting in front of a computer waiting for an email to come back to me or something like that doesn't necessarily keep me on the sharpness. I actually have to go out of the studio. I go to my back porch. Oh. I want no interruptions. I put my practice mute in there. Oh, yeah. What works for me really well is day on, day off. Really? If I yeah, for me. I'm not one of those guys that needs to play every day. If I if I get a great workout on a Thursday, I do not need to touch my horn till Saturday. Chris has been contracting musicians for recording sessions and live gigs since nineteen eighty seven, and that's where our conversation takes us next. Just a note, I had some technical difficulties here <laughs> from here on to the end of the episode, so although the audio quality isn't up to par, it's still audible, and Chris has some important things to say, so stick with us and you'll be glad you did. First, uh, The first contracting gig, a friend of mine, Jerry Janicki, played uh, trumpet in high school with me, uh, Nagarifal High School. He went to uh, engineering school and he uh, was working for McDonnell Douglas down in the South Bay, let's say uh, Huntington Beach. So I moved here in 87, February. Of course, you contact anybody you know saying, hi, I'm in California now. So, and Jerry uh, knows I still was playing trumpet. So he hits me in the spring of, uh, let's say it was spring or summer of 87. Hey, uh, I, I'm doing a little uh, party for about 10 or 20 people and we're going on this little boat called the Buccaneer Queen out of San Pedro, which was like a little pirate ship. I need a little quartet to play background music for this little party. It's acoustic, though. So uh, trumpet, acoustic guitar, acoustic bass, and a guy with a snare drum. I just need background music. And do you know guys? You just moved here. I go, yeah, I know guys. Sure. So I don't know. Maybe the guys made 100 bucks each, and I made 200 And as soon as you get the taste of making double money as a contractor, you're like, oh, yeah. oh that's pretty effing cool. you know. And that literally was my first contracting job was, I, I believe, that gig down in the spring of 87 from a friend of mine. That's cool. Yeah. And you, you being close to the water and uh, in L.A., you're, you're playing in all kinds of situations. Oh, venues? Yeah. yeah. On the yeah. boat, on oh, yeah. at the castle. We Thank you for hiring me for that yeah, castle thing. L.A. has 
got to be by far the most venues to play different gigs at. Uh, crazy gigs, uh, boat gigs, uh, party boat gigs. Oh my God, where's I, I don't even know what's the craziest venue that you've ever played. Oh my God. Well, I, I, on my Angel City music, um, it's Dixieland band. It's 20s, 30s band, like a great Gatsby band. I call it the Angel City Swing Orchestra. And mm -hmm. that's a small band literally playing the same music as what New Orleans would be, which is 20s and 30s. New Orleans music, uh, Dixieland music is, you know, Irving Berlin uh, and those tunes that you would do. Uh, but like Great Gatsby-wise, you, you put a different look on. I have no problem putting on a floppy hat and suspenders and a bow tie looking like I'm from the 1920s to make money. Yeah. So... I have Angel City Dixieland Band, I have Angel City uh, Swing Orchestra, and that's small band, or I have a sit-down, organized, kind of like a, um, a boardwalk emperor band with tuxedos and, and then those actual arrangements for 11-piece band, three brass. So to talk about that, I think it's very interesting. You, you, when you contract, you, you don't just find people. You, you put together these themed groups, and you have to yeah. buy outfits and... Yeah, there's a lot of uh, stuff involved in it. There's, there's a lot of the guys will have a bow tie. I own suspenders for guys. Everybody has a tuxedo. A tuxedo gig with a wingtip, that's a no-brainer. But when I do the Angel City Swing Orchestra, which is the organized mm. uh, sit-down thing with the tuxedo, I just did a big gig where I booked the band for Gwyneth Paltrow's engagement party. 17-piece band. It was four strings, three brass, three saxes, uh, four-piece rhythm, uh, and two vocalists. So um, the different groups do require some attire, but they also require music in, in sheet form for guys to read. Or when I do the Dixieland thing, there's if I need to bring a chart or a book for Dixieland for some new tunes that somebody requests, and I'll tell you about a gig tomorrow, uh, I will bring a book. But those Dixieland gigs are no charts. Everybody's just standing up playing tunes. And I have a list you know, from A to Z. I can do four sets of Dixieland without looking at a book. Years ago, you could just be one type of trumpet player in L.A. You could just be a movie trumpet player in L.A. and just do movie dates. Probably 30 years ago, you could still do that. When I moved here, I was uh, palling around with my cousin Tommy Tedesco. That's my dad's cousin uh, on the Tedesco side. I moved here. I didn't know anybody. Um, I said, I'm in town. He said, what the hell are you moving to town for? He was telling me already then that things were changing technology-wise and also union-wise, and also uh, globalization-wise. He goes, I was on the cruise ship, I was coming here anyways. My dream was to come to L.A. and be part of the workforce here in L.A. and do what he did, but on trumpet. And so he said, what the hell are you moving here for? Things are changing. Pete Condoli and Connie Condoli are barely working now. And I go, I'm sorry, too late. I'm in Burbank, living in Burbank. He goes, oh, Poopy. Okay, meet me at meet me at Warner Brothers next Monday at 10 o'clock. Bring your trumpet. You're not going to play, but if they ask you what you're doing, you're going to music scoring at the Warner stage before it was called Eastwood stage. Just let them know you're going to do the session at 10 o'clock. And I went there and I sat there and I watched, uh, I think it was James Horner with, uh, mm, what was the score? It was the, with the chimpanzees uh, and they were doing sign language. Uh, and it had... Uh, Oh, God. Helen Hunt was in the movie. Anyways, I'm, I'm sitting there watching like an 80-piece orchestra. Uh, James Horner, new guy on the scene, Sandy DeCrescent contracting it, and I'm listening to a Hollywood orchestra. That's not the, the first time I was in town. But when I moved here, now I get to see these guys mm -hmm. that do this for a living. Every day, 30 years, 40 years of movies. Malcolm McNabb, uh, Bob Duvall, the guy that was uh, 
the guy that did Dynasty theme, but he was also in the LA Philharmonic for a long time. He was playing first, Malcolm was playing second. Might have been Mario Guarneri on third. And I watched these guys for a whole week, just like, oh my God, I suck. <laughs> guys are amazing. They're playing the same thing over and over and over correctly every time. I have no chance of doing it ever in my <laughs> That's life. That's how I feel too. <laughs> yeah, so um, that was 31 years ago. And he told me not to move here, it was too late though. So, um, you know, it's, you could make a living just as a recording trumpet player just doing one thing. You could just be a trumpet player playing, playing um, TV shows, playing uh, the live TV shows and the recorded TV shows. Tony Taran uh, was one of the first guys I met hanging out with Tommy Tedesco. And the first thing he said is, um, so what do you play? I go, I, I always kept my chops up classically. I, I play jazz. I can play lead coming off a cruise ship. Uh, he goes, do you know tunes? Do you know songs without looking at music? I go, yeah. He goes, and you're asking about the first gig. He goes, I need a sub Friday night, March 31st at the Music Center for this guy called Clark Keene, pays 20, uh, $96 union. Um, but there's not going to be any music. You're going to have to sit there and play tunes, whatever they call it. I go, I can do it. You know, I, I showed up in town with $6,000, so I'm basically poor. But rent was a lot cheaper then, and everything was cheaper. I go, yeah, I can do it. Send me. I'll do it. And I'm, and that was my first paying gig in L.A., maybe after a month I was here. And he hired me sight on scene. He goes, I need a kit. I need a sub next Friday. You know tunes, right? Yep, yep. Okay, you got it. I'm going to let this guy know that you're coming. And you could do that back then. You can do it now. No, nobody wants to see anybody they don't know now, though. So... That's because he was doing some kind of TV show. So you had guys that did movies, TV shows. Um, you had guys that just did record dates, horn section for record dates every day of the week. You know, those times have changed. So uh, as those things change, you've got to be able to adapt with it. I love composers and what they do. I'm a fan of TV music, film music, uh, and what these guys do. So my target market is those is composers and, uh, and producers of music. So I make sure that these guys know what I do. You're very and I, fast. And I, make sure, and I make sure I know what they do. Do you know what I mean? But they call you because they know that... Yeah. They, what do they know about what you do that makes them want to call you, you think? Uh, well... I, I think I know, but I want you to tell everybody. <laughs> what, what do they know about me? Well, they, they know I have a studio. Like maybe like the first or second time they called you. Well, there's, there's people that are not sure if they want to do it. I just did a whole score for a silent movie for a guy called uh, Anthony Willis, and he got referred to me, or I, I, I think he actually found me online, I'm not sure, uh, maybe on a, on a website that says who's recording remotely. Um, Anthony Willis, it was a silent score, the, the music's probably still on the stand, I can't remember the name of it, and I did all the, all the trumpet parts for it, probably like 11 cues. Before that, uh, a guy named Jake Monaco, uh, I think he had a silent movie score and he knows about me uh, maybe via Facebook and he goes he, he, this is, comes on an email hey Chris I know you have this stuff and I know you, you know, what kind of mics what kind of mics do you have I made sure I bought top of the line well I mean you can buy more expensive mics than I have but I have Neumann mics that are very good and I have three very good ribbon mics by AEA and uh, great preamps and that kind of stuff so Jake Monaco hits me and he says hey I've got this thing I've never done remote trumpet I haven't done that much remote recording what am I in for I said when I send you my tracks it'll sound like I'm sitting in your lap hmm. next to you that's what they are expecting 
It's got to be great audio. You cannot have a cheap mic. You cannot have a cheap preamp. You cannot have a sounding room. The room is a deal breaker. The room you're sitting in now, those sound treatments I made myself with mm -hmm. stretcher bars and uh, foam and fabric. Made those myself. Yeah. So the uh, the ability to read any kind of uh, stuff that you they send you um, and quick, you know, you always ask their deadline. When do you want your tracks back? What's the latest delivery? Because a lot of times I'm doing two or three gigs at a time and telling everybody, yes, yes, I can do your tracks. When do you need them? Okay, got it. And I schedule the stuff. And uh, um, so that's one part of the business that I've adapted to that I really like. Not everybody's into gear. I love microphones, love preamps. I love Pro Tools. Now to the point where I sell time in my studio here. Right, yeah. That people want to come here. I don't charge a ton like a brick and mortar place. But the sound I get in this room is really good. And I can get four or five horn players in here and it still sounds great. I've had, you know, as I played for you on my Pro Tools, rhythm sections in here, not a full piano. Uh, and now I record, mix, and master things out of necessity sometimes. Um, so, so you're producing too. Yeah. I, you're I, a producer. I, Did you ever think you'd be a producer? Yeah. <laughs> The, the title of a producer is hilarious because it's so varied now. It is, yeah. you know, you produce things. Um, you know, uh, I music direct for these gals called the Satin Dows. They're singer, uh, tap dancers, uh, showgirls. And uh, singing-wise, they're getting very good. They were here last night. And so, you know, uh, they need somebody. They don't have a great budget, right? So I'll say, yeah, I'll record you, and I also, I also will finalize your track. That's out of necessity. If you have good ears and you're a good musician, you play the trumpet, you know what things should sound like, right? I know what things should sound like. If it sounds like a band with singers and horns, leave it alone. Do you view uh, the business as a competition or is there enough pie to no, go around? No there, no, there definitely is enough pie. Like, for, I, I, Why did I go into that story? Um, I don't know how I got off on it. There's a reason why. Um, there's, there, yeah. Always, it was it's selling gigs live wise. Right. That's a that's a creative thing because everybody thinks a band is five hundred bucks. If you're a regular <laughs> personal party, bands are not five hundred bucks. So studio wise, things have changed so much with globalization, and there's a lot more composers than there was thirty one years ago. There's composing schools, uh, USC, uh, Berkeley School of Music, University of Miami. They all have all have film scoring programs. You did Berkeley film mm -hmm. scoring, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, UCLA Extension has film scoring classes and I play and contract musicians for those. So there's a lot of composers. When there's a glut of people on the, on this side of it providing music, it drives down the price of what they're going to pay for a score or a project. So it's all the laws of supply and demand are in full force on anything we do music-wise or entertainment-wise. So money in recording now is challenging. It seems like there's money at the top and not so much at the middle and there's m low money at the bottom. But I believe there's more content than ever being created. We mm -hmm. have all these streaming channels that did not exist 10 years ago. Netflix, Hulu, Amazon, and there's more I don't even know. So these things require music. Not all music is going to be recorded by live musicians because everything can, re can be reproduced electronically or sampled. I've played sample sessions. You've played sample sessions. Yep. Musician, uh, composers are going to use samples when they can't afford live players. So it's harder than ever to make a living live-wise, recorded-wise. But that doesn't mean that you should give up the ship. The ship's uh, full of water and it's going to sink. How can you make the best out of the current times with what we have to work with? 
Because things are going to change, and you're not going to... You can't be the guy standing on the sideline going, um, wow, I wish things would go back the way they would, and, and everybody would use live musicians for everything, including strings, horns, woodwinds, and percussion. I wish wish I could get a 40-piece organ. They would convert Todd Ayo back into a big no, stage. You have three studios left, and they're basically sacred ground, protected by the city now. Oh, yeah? Um, yeah, I think so. But the globalization thing... It's a thing. You can't discount it. Competition-wise, you can't view it like, oh my God, Knox is playing better than me. Uh, I need to knock him out of the loop. Uh, how can I get Knox so nobody calls Knox? That, I think that's, that's very healthy because you, you've been helpful to me. Here's the thing. And there are people that do think like that. I think like that too because I was 27 once yeah. or third. There are people that are negative clouds that don't want anybody else to do anything. And that this is why, I'm going to tell you why this is bad. Here's the thing, if more guys are working, and there's some movies going on now, uh, the problem with contracting is this, is that since I contract, and I've done big sessions, medium sessions, little sessions, live jobs, when you do that and other people find out that you're contracting, and especially the contractors, they're not gonna call you as a trumpet player just to play trumpet, because they've got trumpet players. They don't want a guy there that contracts to, that contracts to that's keeping tabs on them. They're insecure of what they do. They don't want Chris Tedesco going, hey man, you didn't give us a break 10 minutes of the hour, you owe us another 4250. Mm -hmm. They don't want that there. And I get it. I don't necessarily hire, hire other contractors. It's, a, it's an LA thing, I don't think it's a New York thing. I hear in New York it's different. But anyways, so the competition thing should be empowering for everybody because if more guys are working, guess what? If I'm not working and a bunch of guys are working, if they're all working, I might get the call because they're working. In other words, if you're working your ass off and you can't do a gig this uh, today's Thursday, uh, let's say, and you're working Saturday and you're doing a gig already and it pays you what you want to pay, and you go, uh, no, I give Chris a call. He, he can do that job. I heard he's open on Saturday. You have to keep in touch with your colleagues. Hey, are you open Saturday? We used to do this all the time 30 mm, years ago. Before the Internet. Yeah. And now everybody knows on Facebook what you're doing because everybody puts up their life every yeah. day. So, you know what somebody had to eat. You can't view, view competition as that, oh, I want that guy's job. Why is that guy doing that movie? I should be doing that movie. How come I'm not sitting in the trumpet section for whatever's going on this week? Or how come I didn't get the trumpet section for The Incredibles? I should be there. I've been around forever. Are you kidding me? You're not there for a reason. There's a reason why you're doing something and not doing something. But when people are working, it's a good thing and there's an opportunity for you to get a call because somebody's going to need you because people are busy. Okay, that's the way I look at it. That's a good way to and look then, at it. And then my thing about the contracting thing for the sessions is that my theory is, is different than some people and it will differ with some people and they'll argue with me about this, but the globalization thing has lured away production companies to record her because of the union thing and because of the residuals. Now, those are a beautiful thing when you can get them. Okay, those are tough to get now. There are still jobs that are happening right now that are getting uh, union and residuals. The jobs that are going away are the desired jobs by production companies to skirt those. We want a lower budget with no residuals. They're finding places around the globe and in LA to get those things done. I believe keeping the money in LA, in Los Angeles, in the musicians' pockets and to scoring stage pockets and to all the people, there's all these other people that are connected to the industry, orchestrators, arrangers, uh, uh, copyists, stagehands, stage owners, studio owners, all these things 
are crumbling as we speak because our money is being shipped away. I don't think that's a good thing. I think you keep your craft here. I think you get a contract that satisfies the employer, satisfies the musician. Giving up the back end is not the greatest idea because production companies, look at The Incredibles making $180 million a weekend. Do you give them a get out of jail free and say, oh yeah, we'll give you no residuals and no back end? Well, that's a tough thing, That that's a tough, but you do have to sit down with them and find out, hey, um, why are you leaving town? Is there any way we can keep you in town? Open up your dialogue, treat people as people and find out why they're doing what they're doing and what's it gonna take to keep you in LA because the composers that live in LA are not recording in LA all the time. And mm. that's a tragedy. That's a tragedy daily I wake up with eating away my stomach every day. <laughs> that is a comp, that is a modern day tragedy. Let's say you get a score and you're recording in three months and it's a big budget. And they say, Knox, sending you to London, brother. You're gonna use the uh, London Symphony Orchestra. We're sending you to London. We want a buyout. I don't care what you want to do. We're sending you to London, Knox. Do you understand? You go, yes, sir, I understand. That's what that's what's going on. Yeah. When it's slow, uh, it, it could be no fault of your own, or it could be something you did on a gig. Here's the biggest thing I see as a... Uh, uh, do you want to? You can close that door if you want. Oh, uh, the the biggest thing I see when hiring people, because I'm able to be on the outside looking in on hiring people, the biggest downfall to hiring somebody is not their playing. It's really rarely they're playing, whether or not they can play the job. It's whether or not personality-wise they can be okay with that job. Do they get along with other people? Are they employable? Are they happy with the job and and grateful of the job? And they can can they be normal on the job? <laughs> right. So you gotta examine yourself all the time. What can I say in a job? Can I be myself? Uh, am I late to the job? Are you, I had a talk with a violinist recently who's always walking in mm. five minutes before the downbeat or on the downbeat or late. I go, you play a lot better than what you're doing showing up late-wise. It's not working for you to have this reputation as being, oh yeah, she's gonna be late. I go, I can't hire you anymore unless you change it now. And I have no problem telling somebody that to their face. Oh, that's, I have no problem talking to anybody, frankly, to their face, the situation at hand. That's rare here in L.A. And oh, no, no, yeah, in L.A. people will just say, yeah, yeah, I don't hire it anymore. People would long, long ago moved on past this one string player. They would have long ago moved on. No, I know she plays well, so I'm going to give her, I'm going to give her a few times, and then I'm going to take her aside and go, you play a lot better than what your reputation of being late is. Yeah. Yeah. And so, she knew, she agreed. The evidence is in. She's, yeah. late. She's late. Where's so-and-so? Oh, she'll be late. Why would you want that reputation to ruin your career? So there's things that you can do to ruin your career that maybe unconsciously you think you're not doing. And then there's, a, then there's the other things that are obviously going to ruin your career directly right off. But here's the greatest thing about what we do, what you do. And I don't know if you want to be a composer solely. You've worked for big composers. You do orchestration composing yourself. Uh, ultimately, whatever you want to do, here's the thing. There's going to be entities that are going to want you to create your end of your content for something. It's either you writing music, or I'm a trumpet player or a brass player facilitating my end of it, supplying you with what you need for it. There's People are going to create. Filmmakers are going to make films. People are going to make, singers are going to make records. Uh, producers are going to make TV shows. Whether or not it involves us is a different story, 
but creation of arts is going to go on regardless of budgets. I think there's more content than ever. I think there's there could be so much work in LA if uh, if we we just our musician union does what they do. I don't agree with it. I don't agree with them. I, I agree with partnering up with people, making people happy. Doesn't mean I'm a scumbag, scab, non-union guy. I, I record non-union all the time. I record union all the time. Uh, when you make a relate, it's all about the relationship. Am I making a relationship with somebody who's a good person that wants to pay me or other people for their craft? Do they want to do that? If they're not jerks or a-holes, and these are regular people. I've made relationships with people 10 years ago in the beginning of their career as a composer. Now they're big composers and I do their work. Had I told them to screw off 10 years ago because no, 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 I don't do that. I don't do a $100 non-union demo for you. I don't do that. Can you imagine me doing that 10 years later? I'm not working for them. Mm. People want to work with people they like and that's for every business. Toothpaste, you're selling toothpaste? You're going to sell toothpaste to distributors? Your distributors, do you like the guy that distributes your toothpaste? Yeah, I like those guys a lot. <laughs> Deliver my stuff on time, the right aid. It's all about the relationship. Absolutely. Well, thanks for all the help you've given me. Oh, thanks. Well, and, you know, I'm, I'm, one I'm, of the first people I met here. I do. I, yeah, I knew you before. How did we meet? I can't even remember. I was you, trying to think you about probably, that. You met by... Was it Fred Mills? No. No. Uh, I have a lot of friends that went to Berkeley School, of, Berkeley College of Music. I went to U Miami. But then there's these guys out here I met first out. And uh, you contacted somebody in the Berkeley College of Music alumni network, and they and my it's my buddy Dan Stein. Dan oh, that's Stein, right. Dan Stein says, "Hey, there's a trumpet player moving out uh, who did the film music program from Berkeley, but he's contacting me because I'm a composer, but I don't know what to do with him. Do you mind if I send him your way?" And I go, "No, send him my way." That's right. He needs to come over and play for me so I can see if he can play. I need to see if he's mentally normal. Is he okay to hang out with? Can you play? Are you okay to hang out with? Is your attitude good? And do you need the money? Those are the four. That's the criteria. Yeah. Well, that, so that, I, I couldn't remember that. Yeah, yeah. So you sat in here. We played jazz. We played probably classical duets and stuff. That happens all the time. I was that guy, 27 years old. Well, thanks for chatting up Tony Tarrant. Tony, can I come over and play duets for you? He goes, I don't have time. Can you play though? I go, yes, I can play. Okay. Well, thank so, you for that. Yeah. And thank you yeah, for right, doing this, man. We'll man. do a second or third part. It's up to you. In a couple more hours. <laughs> totally up to you. Noxcast is brought to you by yours truly. I got more great interviews lined up with some really prolific and fantastic friends, so please subscribe to Noxcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and follow me on Twitter at TrumpetNox for podcast updates. Stay tuned and stay musical. Today.